I truly believe that 2018 is going to be filled with God's blessings, some challenges, and a lot of opportunity. Our theme for the year is going to be committed, ready for the journey ahead. I met with our elders a few months ago. We spent some time talking and praying, and over the last few months, I've really been thinking about our upcoming sermon series and this theme, and what does it mean to be a committed people? What does it mean to commit ourselves to God? So this statement that's on the next slide is going to be something I bring up quite a bit, and I hope that it's on our mind not just this morning, not just this month, but this entire year, that in response to the God who committed all to our salvation, we commit all to Him, to His glory, to His cause, and to His people. I hope that that thought resonates in our minds today and throughout the year. So with that in mind, let's go to God in prayer. Holy Father, It is because you have committed all to our salvation, to saving a group of people out of humanity, that we commit all to you, to your glory, to your cause, and to your people. Help us, Father. Strengthen us as we commit ourselves to you. Help us, Father, not to lose heart. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So with that in mind, there's, there's in your bulletin on the front page or in the front inside cover, there is a list of our upcoming sermon series and there's some banners in the building that show our sermon series this year and what we'll be talking about as far as being committed. And our first sermon series this year, uh, is the one we're doing this month is called Follow committed to discipleship. We all want to be followers of Jesus, don't we? We all want to be disciples of Jesus. We want to commit ourselves to following him, but what does that mean? Who is he? See, being a Christian isn't just about committing ourselves to a philosophy. It is committing ourselves to a person, Jesus. So what does it mean that Jesus has come into the world and has invited us to follow him? What does it mean to be committed to discipleship? I want to tell you a story uh, that happened to a friend of mine, a preacher friend of mine. And when I first heard this story, I didn't know whether to laugh or to cry. I probably did a little bit of both inside. So I'll forgive you no matter what your response to this uh, this story is. But I had a preacher friend and uh, he was in a, a church meeting with, you know, talking about church business and, and he made somebody upset. Preachers often do that. So uh, he made somebody upset. Somebody didn't like what he had to say. And so one of the men in the congregation said, Young man, if Jesus heard you say that, he would roll over in his grave. (laughs) Just think about that for a second. And he said, the preacher said, Sir, if Jesus is in his grave, I don't know what any of us are doing here. Right? And again, I didn't know whether to laugh or to cry about that story. You think, I know what he meant by that, but... How does someone whose very life is supposed to revolve around the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, how do we make that mistake? How do we say Jesus is still in his grave? If our entire life revolves around what happened 2,000 years ago, 
in the Son of God coming to this earth and giving His life for us and being raised from the dead, if our life is all about the resurrection, which brings me to my question for us to kind of ponder this morning, does your life revolve around the resurrection? If you found out that Jesus was in His grave, as Paul put it in 1 Corinthians 15, as he posed that hypothetical to them, if Jesus is not raised, What if you found out that Jesus is still in his grave? That there is no resurrection? What would change in your life? Anything? Is there anything that would dramatically change in your life if you found out that the resurrection isn't true? I hope so, right? I hope that you're doing a lot of the things that you're doing. You're living the life the way you're living it. Because you do believe that indeed, as Paul put it in 1 Corinthians 15, in fact, Jesus is raised from the dead. Jesus is not in his grave. But there's the question. What are you doing day in and day out, week in and week out? What did you do in 2017 that only makes sense in light of the gospel? What did you do in 2017 that only makes sense in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? That's what it is to live a Christian life, isn't it? Is to live as people that believe that something dramatically changed 2,000 years ago. That something happened when the Son of God came to this earth and He became our King, that He called Jew and Gentile to Himself, that He gave Himself for our sins, that He was raised from the dead, that He is enthroned and seated at the right hand of God, and that everything we do revolves around that. Everything we believe, everything we are as individuals and as a group revolves around what happened when Jesus came to this earth, when Jesus died gave his life for us, and was raised from the dead. So I ask you, what are you doing in your life, day in and day out, week in and week out? What will you do this week? What will you do this year that only makes sense in light of the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he is not in his grave? So I want to look at the book of Matthew, and and Matthew is it's all culminating to that last chapter that we know so well, right? And, and the last thing that Matthew records is telling Jesus telling his apostles to go out into the world and make what? Disciples, right? Go out and make disciples by baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and I will be with you even to the end of the age. And so all of this book is about discipleship. And our text is going to come from Matthew chapter 4, but you know me, I I like looking at whole books and what leads up to that. What story is Matthew telling? So that when we get to this point in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus begins to call people and say to them, follow me, that it makes sense that they do. Follow him. So in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 22, Matthew says about Jesus' birth, his miraculous birth, that all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, which that's the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 7, 14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name 
Emmanuel, which means God with us. That somehow this baby, this child, this Jesus, this Savior, who is, as the book begins, the son of David, the son of Abraham, that he is the Christ, the Messiah, the King, the Savior. But he's not just a a king, not just a Savior, not just the Messiah, but somehow he is God with us. He is Emmanuel. And then the next thing we know in chapter 2 and verse 11, there are wise men coming from the east to bow down before him. We read in Matthew 2 and verse 11, going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Do you see the stage that Matthew is setting? Not only is are these men coming to pay homage to a king, but Matthew is saying this king not only is the king of the Jews, not only is the one who is going to call all nations to him, but somehow he is also Emmanuel, God with us. And then in chapter 3, a prophet shows up, John the baptizer, and he's kind of a weird guy, isn't he? Wearing camel's hair and eating locusts and wild honey. And it says, chapter 3 and verse 1, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent. Change. You can't keep living the way that you're living. Turn around. Stop doing what you're doing. Turn to God. For the kingdom of heaven, heaven's reign... The reign of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. So Matthew says about John that John is the one spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when Isaiah said, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now, in that prophecy, it's all about when a king would come and he'd cross the wilderness, that that a road would be made for him. The the hills would be leveled off. The the valleys and the low places would be filled up so that the king would have a, a highway, would have a straight path, would have a level path on which to to travel. But But when we look at what Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 40, he says this, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of Yahweh. Prepare the way of Yahweh. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of Yahweh shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You see, when Matthew says that John the Baptist is a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, he's saying that John is preparing the way, not just of the Messiah, not just of a king, not of another prophet, but he is somehow preparing the way of Yahweh, preparing the way of our God. That Yahweh is coming. That God is coming in the person of Jesus, the Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And he says in chapter 3 and verse 11, he testifies about Jesus and he says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who's coming after me 
is mightier than I. Whose sandals, listen to that, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. The, the, the one that's, that I'm preparing the way for, the one that's coming after me, isn't just another prophet. It's not just another man. It's not just another leader like we've seen leaders before. This is the one whom I am not even worthy to carry or untie his sandals. And I'm baptizing you with water for repentance, but he says he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. That he will separate those that are God's people from those that aren't God's people. And with the one, he will baptize them in the Holy Spirit and the other baptize them with fire. This one that I'm preparing the way for, he is someone I'm not even worthy to hold his shoe. Somehow, this Jesus, this Messiah is the king, but he's not a king like we've ever seen before. He is God with us. He is Emmanuel. He is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. He is the one who is worthy to be worshipped. Look at chapter 3 and verse 16, Matthew 3, 16 and 17. When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him. Heaven burst open and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And then after that, he went into the wilderness and for 40 days resisted the temptation of Satan. Unlike the children of Israel who went and wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and gave in to the temptation of Satan, Jesus, the true Son of God, went into the wilderness and resisted temptation and did his Father's will. And then he began to proclaim, repent, for heaven's kingdom has come near. Heaven's kingdom is at hand. You see, Jesus didn't just show up to say, hey, listen, I, I know you've got a pretty good life going on and you, you can go back to your regularly scheduled program in just a minute, but I, I just want to come and, and offer myself as a sacrifice so that you can be forgiven and go to heaven when you die. Jesus didn't come so that everything could stay the same. Jesus came because everything was going to be changed Forever. Nothing would ever be the same. All of the prophecies and everything that had been before him was pointing forward to his coming. Everything was culminating in his appearance and him coming was him ushering in a new era of humanity so that he could come and create a brand new kind of people. Isn't that what Peter said on the day of Pentecost when he preached that first good news sermon? He said, in these last days, God has poured forth his spirit on all flesh, on all mankind. Jesus came to usher in the final era of humanity, the era in which Jesus himself as king, God as king, would reign over his citizens. And, and so when Jesus shows up and Jesus invites you to follow him, everything changes. 
You, you can't go back to the way things were before. Jesus didn't come to say, let me tweak things a little bit. Let, let me help you have just a little bit better life. Jesus came to dramatically shift the course of human history. And when he steps into a person's life individually, it forever alters their course. Whether they choose to accept him or not, his coming into and offering himself to that person will forever alter their course. So now let's look at Matthew chapter 4 and verse 18. And again, you see again how Matthew is, is setting the stage. And let me just say this. Sometimes when we read the gospel accounts, if, if you're real familiar with the Bible and you've been reading the Bible for quite a while, one thing we tend to do is we want to know, well, how did the chronology all happen? You know, And so we try to kind of harmonize the four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we kind of try to put them together, figure out all the details. I, I think that we have those four accounts for a reason. I think they were written for a reason. And each gospel writer was telling a particular story. And so to merge them together, I think of it kind of like merging together four love songs. You think, I want to know about love. And so you take four different love songs and kind of mash them all together. It ruins all four songs, doesn't it? And you don't know what any of them are talking about because you just mushed them all together. So I think when we read the gospel accounts, we need to read it and and pay attention to and appreciate the story that each individual writer is writing. They're all historically accurate, obviously, but they're telling it in a particular way and in a particular order so that you get this picture. And Matthew is saying, the Messiah, the Emmanuel, God with us, the one that the nations are bringing their gifts to, to worship, he has come, and everything will forever be changed. And he shows up in the lives of a few individuals. Look at verse 18 of Matthew 4. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Uh, I I told the first service, this may not make sense, but hopefully it will later, but um, it's kind of a silly story. But when I was a youth minister, I remember one time I was driving down the road uh, with a bunch of the teenagers, and, and I looked out the window, and there was a field with Shetland ponies. You know Shetland ponies, just little bitty horses. And, and I said, look at look at what they're doing. Isn't that amazing what they're doing out there? And they all looked, you know, to see what they were doing. And they were eating grass. And they didn't think that was amazing at all. Neither do you, right? And, and they said, Wes, that's, that's not amazing. I said, why? They're just eating grass. They said, I said, that... That's what horses do, right? They eat grass. And here, Peter and Andrew, they're, they're doing what? They're casting their net into the sea. Why? Because they're fishermen. That's what fishermen do. That's just the ordinary, everyday, typical thing that fishermen do. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And look at verse 20. Immediately they left their nets. And followed him. Now that's not what fishermen typically do. Now I want you to picture in your mind like you're watching a movie. The nets laying on the ground. And Peter and Andrew walking away from them. Because again, not only is that what happened historically. But it happened symbolically. And, and Matthew records it this way. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And then we keep reading, and we read about two other men. Verse 21, and going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called to them immediately, 
they left the boat and their father and followed him. What were they doing before? They were mending their nets. They were in the boat. They were with their father. That's what fishermen do. But when Jesus said, follow me, they left everything and followed him. See, there are some things in our life that happen that permanently interrupt our life. When someone dies, it permanently interrupts your life, doesn't it? You, afterwards, you, you can find a, as we say, a new normal, but you can never go back to the way things were before. Our country as a collective, after September 11th happened, we had to find a new normal, right? September 11th permanently interrupted our lives. When you've lost someone individually, it permanently interrupts your life. But it's not just negative things that happen that way. When you get married, it permanently interrupts your life, doesn't it? That sounds negative, but it's not. It changes things, doesn't it? You, you can't ever have the life that you had before. It's going to be different. It's a good different, but it's, it's different. When you become a parent, your children permanently interrupt your life. Life after parenthood is different than life before parenthood. You see, when Jesus showed up on planet Earth, he permanently interrupted everything. And when he says to you, follow me, when you see him for who he is through these gospel accounts, when you not just come to church, not just sing songs, not just pray prayers, because maybe you've been doing that your whole life, but but maybe it's only here recently that you've really seen Jesus for who he is. And when you take that call to discipleship seriously, it interrupts everything permanently. And so I want us to ask ourselves this question this morning. What are my nets? What are my nets? What are your nets? What is business as usual? What is the thing that because you've seen Jesus for who he is, it's lost its luster and it just doesn't have the same excitement that it used to have? Maybe it's a hobby, you know? Maybe maybe you used to do this thing and it was really exciting and it was really fun and you used to spend all kinds of money on it and all kinds of time on it. But now because Jesus has come and you've seen him for who he is and you've been enthralled by his call to discipleship, you spend money differently and you spend your time differently. Now your life after beginning to follow Jesus only makes sense in light of the resurrection. What are those things that you're leaving behind? What are those things, not just your sin, that's an important part of it, isn't it? But Peter and Andrew and James and John, their boat and their nets and their father, those weren't sinful things. They were just life as usual. You see, there are some things that we look at and we say, oh, horses eat grass, that's what they do. Fishermen cast nets, that's what they do. Some things we look and we say, men, just do this. That's just the way men are. Women, we just kind of do this. That's kind of the way women are. Americans, we kind of do this. That's kind of the way Americans are. Young people do this. That's the way kids are these days. But after beginning to follow Jesus, we can't go back to life as normal. We can't go back to business as usual. Everything has been permanently interrupted. At least it should be, right? When we see Jesus for who he is, there's going to be some nets that we leave behind. And that's what I want us to, to think about this week. That's what I want us to think about today. What are my nets? What is life as usual, business as usual, that I need to say, because Jesus has come, 
my feelings for this, the way that I used to spend money and the way I used to spend time and the things that used to excite me, those things need to change. And do you have the faith to follow Jesus? Do you have the faith to leave your nets behind and to embark on a new era of life, living life as a new kind of human being because Jesus came not just to forgive your sins and not just to tweak your life just a little bit, but to radically change everything. Are you ready for the journey ahead? I want to end as we began this morning with the last slide and think once again that in response to the God who committed all to our salvation, we commit all to Him, to His glory, to His cause, and to His people. Are we ready to leave our nets behind, to leave business as usual behind, to leave life as usual behind, and begin to seriously be committed to a life of discipleship? Maybe there's somebody here this morning that hasn't begun that journey by being baptized into Jesus, and you're ready to make that commitment, or maybe you just need prayers or encouragement. The shepherds are going to meet in my office afterwards. If you want to meet with them, pray with them, talk with them, let them encourage you, then I encourage you to do that. Or you can come forward now as we stand and sing.